Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Sigmund, he poured his life into me, and though we never really used the word, he was a mentor in my life. My other grandpa, my grandpa Gizi, was my mother's father. I was the fifth grandchild in that family, the fifth and final, and I'm a full 20 years younger than my first cousins in that family. He was 74 years old when I was born, and he lived his entire 89 years in York County, most of those years in York City. Grandpa Giese was born in 1888 during the administration of Grover Cleveland, and so he was named Harry Cleveland Giese. Early in his life, his father abandoned him and his mother, and at the age of 12, he became an orphan when his mother died. And so, as it was in those days, he was apprenticed to a butcher in the city of York who gave him a home and a job and some training. Sometime Around the age of 20, he opened his own meat market and grocery store on Walnut Street in York. And in 1915, he married my grandmother, Grace Irene Holtznier. They went on to have six children, my mother being the youngest of those children, because when my mother was born in 1926, my grandmother died 26 days later. And on the death certificate, it says complications in childbirth. It's the only explanation that was ever given. My grandpa Gizzi never talked about his grief, never mentioned it at all. He simply put his heart and his time into raising his family and keeping the store on Walnut Street. Three years after that, he met and married my grandma Amy, and they had a wonderful life together for 33 years until 1962, just a few months after I was born, she went home to be with the Lord as a result of a struggle with cancer. Now, at that point, grandpa was 74 years of age, and he was more than old enough to retire. But retirement was never in his vocabulary. And so he didn't want to retire, and he didn't retire. He kept store and served as a butcher in that neighborhood for until he was 86 years old. I was sent to York every year in the summer for two weeks. You know you've always heard the stories about how city kids are sent to the country to spend time in the fresh air of the country. Well, I was sent to York every year for at least two weeks in the city, and my job was to help Grandpa Giese keep store. He was open six days a week, closed on Sundays. We would leave the house early in the morning, walk up through the backyard, this was in the city of York, to the chicken house, gather the eggs, pick the tomatoes, and take them up to the store and stock this full-service grocery store. My job was to stock the shelves throughout the day. And I was also put in charge of the cigar case. Now, when I went into ministry, I had to give that up. But anyway, I was put in charge of the cigar case, and I was in charge of stocking the He smoked Muriel cigars, and he smoked them throughout the day. In fact, he would smoke them halfway, put it down on a can of peas, put it down on a can of whatever, and then at the end of the day, I'd have to gather all the cigars that were half smoked. My mother always said it was a miracle of God that that store never burned down because of how, and he'd also cut Well, I can tell you this. The health department wouldn't check it out. He cut meat with a cigar hanging out the side of his mouth, but it was York. And anyway, it was years ago. I was also put in charge of the candy case. I never gave that up. I've kept that job all these years. And I was allowed to have whatever I wanted free of charge, made my cousins who were older than I 
very upset because apparently they had to pay, so it's worth coming along on behind, as they say. It was a sad day when Grandpa had to close his store. His body was wearing out. Those small neighborhood stores could no longer compete with the supermarkets that were coming into the cities. One very vivid memory I have of the store closing was the need to settle accounts. You see, the once thriving working class neighborhood where Grandpa Geezy's store was located on Walnut Street had become a very poor neighborhood. It had not weathered time well. Northwest York City had become a neighborhood where people really genuinely struggled to make ends meet. Well, because Grandpa was no stranger to that kind of struggle because of his early years, because of all that he had to endure, it was no surprise to us to learn when we were settling accounts that Grandpa allowed the people in the neighborhood to buy their groceries on credit. And then when the debts got to the point where they were so high that they couldn't pay, he would simply cancel the debt. He would simply forgive whatever they owed him. The only records that Grandpa Geezy kept were simple invoices marked paid, and they were impaled on an upright spike or nail in his office. When the store closed, every account had already been settled. Every debt had already been paid. Grandpa kept no record of wrongs. He kept no record of debts. He simply took care of those by forgiveness. In his pointed, practical, and powerful description of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes this, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Say that with me. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now you will recall the context for 1 Corinthians 13. This is a letter that was written by the church in Corinth, present-day southwestern Greece. It was a church that had a lot of struggles. Because of their sinful attitudes and behavior, love wasn't really in the air very much in this church, and they needed a lesson in love, and so the Apostle Paul gives them that lesson. Just to remember what we studied last week, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. Say this with me with a really loud voice since it's in all caps. It keeps no record of wrongs. And that is a tall order, to keep no record of wrongs. It's why I singled out this one phrase as a sermon all its own. What does it mean to keep no record of wrongs? And the answer to that question is found in the simple word, forgiveness. What does it mean to keep no record of wrongs? It means to practice the fine art of forgiveness. Where did we first see forgiveness? We see forgiveness in our God through his son, Jesus Christ. You know the story, don't you? Our holy God, with a deep and abiding love for his creation, humanity, desired to have a relationship with us, but we were unable to have that relationship with him because every one of us are sinners apart from Jesus Christ. And so God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin, to die in the cross in your place and my place, to pay the penalty and the price for our sins. You know the story, don't you? He was laid in a borrowed tomb when he died. 
And on the third day, he rose again by the power of God, resurrected Jesus Christ, victor over sin and death and the evil one. He ministered for the next 40 days, ascended to the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, and from there he offers to us the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, and a new and eternal life. That when you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the word of God promises that he will, by his shed blood, wash away your sins, forgive you, cancel the debt. He will give you a brand new life and the absolute assurance of eternal life by adopting you into his family, adopting you into his church, and sending his Holy Spirit to take up residence in your life. That is the good news of Jesus Christ our Lord. And all the people said, hallelujah and amen for that good news. Now, what do we do with that? Once we have been forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, God has an expectation on us that we would exercise that same forgiveness toward those who wrong us, insult us, offend us in any way. As Christians, that is our calling. The Apostle Paul makes that very clear in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, where the Word of God says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances that you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. But as we look at that, my goodness, understand this, friends, that is not a suggestion. That is not one of three options that God gives us. Like, if you get wrong, you have option A, option B, option C. There is only one option. It is a command of God. It is the calling that just as God in Christ has forgiven us, we must forgive those who in any way wrong us. You might remember when Jesus taught his disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer. Everybody remembers that portion of Matthew chapter 6. But what about the verses that immediately follow where Jesus said this, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sin. And that brings us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When the Apostle Paul wrote that love keeps no record of wrongs, he was actually using an accounting term in that portion of Scripture. And it speaks to not keeping an account of every debt, not counting something against someone. So the person who keeps no record of wrongs does not note the wrong that has been done to them, does not stew over it, ponder it, cast it up again, does not harbor anger and bitterness, nor do they harbor the hope for retaliation someday. Rather, love shows a willingness to forgive a wrong, a commitment to not think about it, to ponder it, or to become obsessed with it. Love doesn't keep score. Love forgives. But how? How do we forgive? I think perhaps one of the most common teachings in the church is the need to forgive. One of the most common struggles in the Christian life is, how do you do that? And on the way home last night, I said to Jenny, well, and this is, this is the just tremendous gift God has given me and her and my wife. I said, uh, so, and, and what, what do you think about the message? What should I change? And she looked at me and she said, with all sincerity, she said, you know, there are some hurts in life, some offenses, some wrongs that are so deep and so painful 
when you preach tomorrow, make sure you don't make it sound like it's always easy to forgive. There's a commitment involved in forgiveness. There's a cost in the forgiver's life. But oh my goodness, on the other end, there's a freedom like you'll never know if you do not exercise this great gift of forgiveness. So how do we forgive? Number one, when we forgive, we cancel the debt. When someone hurts or offends us, I don't know about you, but I feel like they owe me. <laughs> when they wrong me, they owe me. And man, if I'm not careful, I'll hold them by the neck until they pay me back what they owe me because of the wrong against me. But when we forgive someone, we cancel the debt that they owe. We cancel the offense. We cancel the insult. Love is a choice, and forgiveness is too. If you've been wronged, you need to make the choice to forgive and in doing so to cancel the debt. And the way you do that is in prayer. You go to the one true and living God and you cry out to him and you tell him you want in every fiber of your being to forgive the one who has hurt you, but you can't do it yourself. You have no power, no strength to do it yourself, and you cry out to him and you ask him for the power and the strength to forgive that one who has hurt you, and you know what he does? He hears and he answers your prayer, and he gives you the ability and the power to cancel the debt. Secondly, when we forgive a debt, we need to then release the debtor. We need to choose not to hold that someone responsible for hurting us. And that means personally, stop nursing the hurt. Stop nursing the hurt. Find something else to do. Don't nurse the hurt. People sit around in their homes and they stew and they nurse the hurt and they get themselves all worked up. My goodness, don't do that. Release the debtor as well. And thirdly, when we forgive, we also need to deal with our hurt and our hate. We need to surrender it to the Lord. We need to ask him to heal us from the inside out. Listen, when we are wronged, we will hurt. And we need to tell Jesus about that hurt. But sometimes we also cop an attitude of hate toward the person who has hurt us. And oh my goodness, in polite Christian company and in church, you don't want to say that you hate anybody. But the reality is we all do from time to time, depending on how deep the hurt goes, will develop an attitude of hate. Listen, you can't hide that from God. If that has happened in your life, acknowledge it. He already knows about it. So it's not like, you know, I don't want God to find out that I hate that person. He knows. Tell him. Because when you break silence and you confess that, then he begins a work of healing in your life. You know how? By the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. His blood is powerful. That's why we sing there's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus Christ. Then, when we forgive, we need to decide to imitate God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself as a fragrant offering to the Lord our God. We decide to imitate God when we perform an act of agape or unconditional love and forgive the one who has hurt us. And so in my life, I've been wronged, I've been hurt, I've been offended, you have too. And when that has happened to me and when it happens to me, this is how I've taken these truths. This is what I do in order to forgive someone. It works for me, 
Maybe it will work for you. Maybe you need to pray through these things and, and find the right method that works for you. But when I've been hurt, the very first thing I do when I've been wronged is I acknowledge that it happened. I don't pretend that it didn't happen. I don't get real spiritual and say, oh, you know, I'm fine. You know, I would never. No, I acknowledge to God this happened and I'm hurt. And frankly, God, I'm a little angry. I'm more than a little angry. I'm really angry. God, I need your help. Secondly, you tell him what all those emotions are, and you ask him to take them away, because he'll do that. You name the emotions. You tell him the rage that's within you, the deep hurt that's within you, the pain that's within you. You tell him the, the feeling of envy, the feeling of retaliation that's within you. You name it, and you ask him to remove it. And thirdly, you ask him to perform spiritual surgery, to cut away the hurt, the offense, the insult, the wrong, literally to cut it away and remove it from your heart and from your soul. You know the best part about that surgery? There is no copay and there is no deductible. It is absolutely free. Absolutely free. And God will do that work in your life. Now, I know that even with this understanding, keeping no record of wrongs can be challenging, very challenging. And so over the years, I've heard a lot of different challenges to this teaching. For example, some people say, well, Mike, it's not that easy. It's just not that easy. You can't just decide to forgive and that's it. And the answer to that is yes and no. How do you like that for right in the middle? Yes and no. Yes, you can, and you have to, in a point of time, decide you're going to forgive someone who has hurt you. And no, it's not always easy. I read something about forgiveness years ago that <laughs> sort of at the time I read it and I thought, well, then why do I want to forgive? But the statement was that the forgiver will pay, sometimes will pay a greater price because of all the emotion that's involved in forgiving. Now, I'm telling you that up front because it's worth the price at the back end of the whole thing. Be willing to pay the price of emotion to forgive someone who has hurt you. All the emotion that's involved in praying, in surrendering, in acknowledging, in naming, in allowing spiritual surgery to take place. You know, if you've ever had surgery, there's a period of time after surgery where there's pain, but then over the course of time, you see that pain diminish and diminish and diminish, and that's the way it is in the spiritual surgery of forgiveness. Secondly, people have said to me, but she didn't apologize. <laughs> she didn't apologize. He didn't say he was sorry. You think I'm gonna forgive her? Until she says, I'm sorry, I'm not going to forgive her until she says, I'm sorry. Forgiveness does not and should not always begin with an apology. Don't wait for an apology to forgive the person who has hurt you. Forgive them immediately, long before they ever, if they ever, apologize. Now, there are several reasons for that. And the very first is simply this. The person who hurt you may not even know that they hurt you. They may not even know that they hurt you. 
years ago, about 10 years ago, when I first started as pastor here, soon after I first started, I was um, two weeks in a row, we were having some issues with our sound, and our sound was at the back of the sanctuary, and I was up front, and twice I went back the side aisle, and I was on a mission, and I was going to the sound booth, and I passed by a couple, and two times, two weeks in a row, I didn't say hi to them. And they got very hurt, very hurt and very offended. And, and I understood that when I found that out because they were going through some difficulty themselves. You're extra sensitive sometimes when you go through your own difficulties. And when I found that out, I went to them and I said, I just heard that you're very hurt that I didn't say hi to you the past two weeks. Will you please forgive me? I had no idea that I was ignoring you. I was on a mission I had to get something done, and I was running back and running forward. And they just started to cry, and they said, Oh, Mike, of course we forgive you. Why in the world do we even hold that in our heart? We should have known that you had no idea. Now, sometimes people will offend you or hurt you or insult you, and they will have no idea, friends, that they have done that. That's one reason you need to forgive immediately. Secondly, the person who hurts you may not care that they hurt you. And that's simply true in many cases in life. I don't know why that is. Maybe they have a mean spirit, a hard heart, whatever. They don't care that they hurt you. They may even know that they hurt you. They may even know that the words they spoke, the actions they performed were painful to you. They don't care, and they're not going to apologize. So what do you do? Do you hold on to that for the next 10 years? No. Forgive immediately. Thirdly, the person who hurts you may die without ever apologizing to you. What do you do then? What do you do then? Waiting for an apology will only deepen the hurt that you're experiencing. You will become a slave to the person who hurts you. You will become a prisoner of the pain that you're feeling. If you keep a record of wrongs, it will simmer inside of you and someday it will boil over and possibly explode, and you know who will get hurt? The people who love you, not the people who hurt you. You will fall into all kinds of sin if you do not forgive. Bitterness will take root. Revenge could become a preoccupation. Malice and gossip will fly off your tongue, and you won't be able to catch it. Feuding will become a way of life. Your attempts at hurting others will only hurt you. Don't wait for an apology. Forgive immediately when you have been hurt. Ethics professor Lewis Meads writes in his book, Forgive and Forget, if the people you forgive want to stay where they are, let them. You can make a solo flight to freedom. I wonder how many of us today need to make a solo flight to freedom. And then there is this challenge. When you forgive, you have to forget. And I just can't forget. Forgive and forget is indeed one of the most popular phrases that we use when we talk about forgiveness. In fact, when you use the phrase keeping no record of wrongs, it almost sounds like you need to forgive and forget based on that phrase. I don't know about you, but I tend to forget the things I should remember, and I remember the things I forget. How many of you are in that same 
category. We even have systems in place at home to capture the fact that I forget the things I remember. We have little signs now that say Mike's lunch, and they follow me from the kitchen table to the door so that I don't forget my lunch. And then when I do, Jenny texts and says, I can't believe, well, I went out a different door. So that's what happened. I, <laughs> you're going to have to hit all the doors if you want me to remember this thing. So <sighs> my goodness, Chick-fil-A around the corner. So what's the matter? <laughs> so what do you do about forgetting? What do we do about forgetting? A few observations. First of all, God is the only one who is perfect at forgetting. You need to remember that. God is perfect at forgetting. He's perfect at remembering. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, he says that he'll wash away our sin and forget or remember them no more, is what he says. I'll remember them no more. So we get on ourselves when we say, oh, I should forget, I should forget, I should forget. The only one who perfectly forgets, the only one who perfectly remembers is God. So, if that's true, what hope do we have? Well, when we decide to forgive, we also should decide that we want to forget. The same God who helps us forgive others is the same God who will cause the memory of a hurt or offense to fade from view if we ask him to do that work in our lives. Now, I can testify to that because I can tell you that when I was in college, some of my friends in college did something that was very, very hurtful to me. It was, it was a, a, an offense, a wrong. I cannot remember to this day the details of that. I literally can't remember. The only thing I can remember is that there was this pain that resulted from a wrong, that I harbored it long enough that I became bitter, that my roommate said to me, if you don't forgive them, you're going to become a bitter old man. I didn't want that. The Lord used that to convict me that I need to forgive as Christ has forgiven me, and so I forgave them. For years, I could remember the details, but I began to pray and say, Lord, would you just erase those details from memory? So all I'm left with is this wonderful memory of God's power at work in me to forgive someone who hurt me, but I couldn't tell you today what the details were. You know, I've told you this story before, probably several times before, and that is, you know, my last name is Sigmund, but our family line is the Sickman family line, S-I-C-K-M-A-N. The mill in Conestoga belonged to my great-great-uncle Fred Sickman, and it was passed on to his son Warren Sickman. Fred Sickman and my great-grandfather Jacob Sickman were brothers, and in 1895 they had an argument and it must have been some kind of argument because my great-grandfather then changed our last name from S-I-C-K-M-A-N to S-I-G-A-M-A-N to distance himself from his brother. And then they forgave each other and they became friends again. But thanks be to God, my grandfather did not send, put our name back to S-I-C-K-M-A-N, I sort of like S-I-G-M-A-N. My grandfather knew the details of that argument. He knew why that happened. And to his death, I said to my grandfather, what was the argument about? And to his death, my grandfather, Sigmund, said, you don't need to know that. That will die with me. There is a great deal of wisdom in that, so that we don't keep passing on the story of a hurt or a wrong and stirring it up. Grandpa said, enough is enough. That memory ends here. 
God will do that for you if you ask him to do that for you. Thirdly, we can't rush the forgetting. We can't rush the forgetting. Have you ever tried hard to go to sleep at night? Have you ever had one of those nights, it's like one in the morning, and, and you, you're trying hard to sleep, so you're trying to think yourself into sleeping. You know how that works? It doesn't. Okay? And then people say things like, well, you should count sheep. Now, if you're my personality, and you lose count, and then you get all worked up because, oh my word, I was at 32, where was I? And then, then the whole group of sheep come through. It's not just one by one. You know, in the commercials, it's one by one. I get them in groups, and you know, an occasional goat, and that throws things off. I mean, it's miserable. Nancy Weiss said on the way out of church that her mother taught her growing up that when she can't sleep at night, she doesn't count sheep. She talks to the shepherd. That was really precious. I was grateful that she shared that. I want to say to you today that if you've ever tried hard to forget a hurt, it's hard to forget a hurt. Don't try so hard. People get all worked up when they can't forget the hurt, and they think that that is a test of their forgiveness. It's not. It's simply a sign of your humanity. Just don't break a sweat over it. Give it to Jesus and let him do his work over time, and he will. And that leads finally to this truth. When we remember, we can choose what we will remember. We can choose to remember the healing and not the hurt. We can choose to remember the freedom instead of the bondage. We must not remember with bitterness. We need to remember with gratitude that God gives us the gift of freedom through forgiveness. Preparing this sermon is what took me back to a time in life when I had a relationship with my grand Pulgizi. To be honest with you, on Tuesday when I was driving over to the church in the morning and I still hadn't landed how to open this sermon, I said to the Lord, on Rockvale Road, approaching Gridley, and I said, Lord, I don't have an introduction for this sermon. How do you want me to open this sermon? And after that stop sign, all of a sudden, I remembered Grandpa Gizi. And all of the memories of my grandpa came back. And the memories of the store and the closing of the store, I began to ponder what it means to keep no record of wrongs. And it took me back to York City and to that Walnut Street store. I began to write about forgiveness when I got in here. immediately remembered that when my grandpa retired and the store closed, all the accounts were settled and the debts had been forgiven. I remembered that there was no record, no written record, indicating that anyone truly owed anything to Grandpa Gizi because he had forgiven all the debts, even when it cost him to do so. Have you? Have you? Are all the accounts settled? So when you close up shop on this earth, you go to be with Jesus in heaven, there are no outstanding debts. You've forgiven everyone who has wronged you, hurt you, offended you, insulted you. You know, Christmas is this wonderful season of the year for gift-giving, and it's all about buying gifts to give to others. 
It's not so selfish to give yourself a gift once in a while. And one of the most selfless gifts to give yourself is the gift of forgiving others. Because you will experience a freedom unlike any freedom that this world can offer. Say it with me real loud. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you would send your only son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place on the cross, to rise again from the grave. The victor over sin and death and evil, thank you that you paid the highest price anyone could ever pay and suffered the most excruciating death so that we would be forgiven by you. Thank you that even from your place on the cross, as you were struggling to breathe, as blood was flowing from your brow and your hands and your feet, you looked into that crowd and you said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. How could we keep a record of wrongs when you who we follow has blazed the trail called forgiveness and invited us to join you in that journey. So my prayer today, across this congregation, is that if there is anyone, or maybe many people, who have kept a record of wrongs, today would be the last day that that account is open that that record stands. And there would be debts canceled, debts canceled, debtors released, debtors released, hurt and hate surrendered, freedom through this great gift of forgiveness. Jesus, I love, I love Grace Community Church family. And I don't want to see any one of our family members become bitter and angry and miserable because they've held on to a debt that you will give them the power to forgive. Do your good work here in us today. And Lord, if some of us are so doggone stubborn that we hold on to it into the evening, grab a hold of us. Convict us to the core of our being. Don't let us sleep and mix up our sheep until we surrender that unforgiveness to you and experience your freedom in Christ. I pray for that freedom in this church family, wherever it is needed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.